Let me talk you through the two most emotional, stressful months of my sales career. It's no big deal to call a CTO and tell I want to talk. You cannot stand on the sideline and basically wait until the dice rolls itself. It's never going to happen. I don't know if this is going to be on the record or off the record. It's almost like playing with cards, this job. Like, it's like you, you get given a, a hand of cards and like you have to do the best with what, what you have. Someone might have been watching, watching down on me. Me and Jack going into this, when, when he originally told me exactly the same, like, oh, you know, Jack, I've got this idea, you know, what about this? I just, my first thought was, my God, if no, well, I don't even care if anyone, like, listens to this, you know, if I take one key takeaway from every recording, I'll be such a better rap. This is no big deal, the sales podcast. Hello and welcome back to the No Big Deal podcast with me, Jack Nico and Jack Fox. We are very excited to welcome our next guest, George Mann from Multiverse. Now, one of George's biggest accomplishments is delivering 9% of revenue from for Multiverse from seed to unicorn valuation. Now, George joined as employee number 50 and has seen Multiverse grow to over a thousand employees from that seed through to Series D. Now, George went on to land the first significant enterprise customer across Big Four, FMCG, public sector, and the media space. George was one of the first major account directors promoted within the company's biggest accounts and three of the top five. George won Wiser Elite's 100 over 100, where over the course of a year, and during his time as a major accounts account executive, he consistently held a 300% plus quota attainment. George is now a regional director leading a newly created mid-market segment, developing the team to deliver the biggest numbers to date through mastering the McMahon, Duggan and McCluskey playbook. Welcome to No Big Deal, George. Me and Jack are both very excited to have you on. I said... Lovely to be here, and that's quite quite over the top in terms of an introduction. But I, I know you love a little bit of show business, Jack. So nice to be on there. Love it. No worries. Um, I would uh, ask you to just give us a bit of an insight into the deal. Can you tell us just at the get go before you tell us anything technical or tactical about the deal? What this deal did for you in your life? Yeah, of course. Um, I think like most people have been in sales for a little bit of time. Um, I've done one or two deals. Um, but I, I really isolated on this particular deal because I felt like it was the most formative for me in terms of learning. And I guess a bit of a spoiler alert, it's almost a lesson in how not to do sales. Uh, I'm really grateful for it. I'm really grateful for where it turned up in, in my journey within sales and the lessons that I, I took from it. So for today, I actually wanted to share a, a, a deal that didn't happen. Um, and actually, in reflection, has helped a lot of deals to happen because of the lessons that I that I took from it. And also, could you just give us a bit of an insight into what the deal did for you outside of work? Like lessons formative in work, technical and tactical, and the strategy that comes behind starting big enterprise customers. But outside of it, did, did it have an impact there as well? Yeah, it did, actually. It's, it's a great question. So, yes, I learned a lot of um, really key bits about our sales playbook and sales in general. I think the thing it really taught me outside of that though is around um, knowing how to regulate 
in kind of a you know highly charged environment where you take wins and and losses and highs and lows and actually how to make sure that you're setting yourself up in your personal life as well to enable you to step onto high performing pitches and to experience both win and loss um so for instance the importance of a really strong kind of exercise base the importance of kind of some some good guardrails around around sort of personal goals that, that sit outside of professional goals so that that you're able to i guess continue to channel your energy when you are stepping on the pitch in, in the sales space but but also that you're getting fulfillment in your life out, out, outside of just just your sales career too so i think those are the the, the kind of key lessons i took outside of the, the sales um uh lessons i took from yeah, man, I totally get that. Yeah, and I, I, I like what we've done um, with this series by allowing guests to talk about deals they've lost because I think in a lot of scenarios, George, you know, when we prep for this, you, you learned more from this deal than you probably did from some of the biggest deals that you've closed. Um, <laughs> and all the anxiety, et cetera, that comes with losing probably a big deal in a pivotal point in your sales career. So I think to kick us really off, like, what would you say were the top three things that you did wrong in this deal? First of yeah. all, I think the first one comes down to um, champions, and it's a word that we throw around in sales a lot. In it, and I think people mean different things by it. People also hold different standards around actually how how strongly they're asking themselves: Do I do I have a champion? What type of champion? Do I know my champion? And am I effectively um, engaging with my champion? So first, it's around champions. The second, um, again, it's around kind of strategic pain. So I'm sure we'll go into it, but ultimately making sure the right person understands the strategic pain. Very true of kind of big multinationals where I think most people know where the fires are, but actually it's finding the right person who wants to put that out. And then the third one, which I think is probably the biggest area of lessons for me was, was around execution and, and, and kind of poorly guided execution on my part. I'm just jumping into that, I feel like execution comes across all three of those. And there's two, two things that I, there's questions that come up so regularly. It's like, how do I effectively communicate with my champion? How do I build my champion? And it's like a lot of like really broad sweeping statements. It's like, oh, just go build a champion. Like, <laughs> you just go and talk to your champion and like create them into a champion. <laughs> and it's actually really not that straightforward. There's a lot of nuance to it and a lot of like tactical expertise that comes over time of like, you know, winning or losing a deal because of a good or bad champion. So could you just tell us a little bit about in this deal, what the lessons that you learned from about champion building and also like where it went wrong. Yeah, of course. So I guess one of the dynamics of the deal very early stages, we, we'd worked with this organization before very effectively in, um, in, in the UK and we found ourselves in a position where we're speaking to, um, a, a member of their global board to look to, to kind of roll out more widely. And that, that was effective in terms of getting access to to, to reasonably good e eb um and in terms of the champion dynamic there was an individual who very much had stuck their hand up to be champion in this space of of solving this set of challenges well, actually in fact it was more stuck his hand up to be able to deliver 
the, the, the solution rather than really actually solving the problem. He'd already done some work in a different uh, geography to, to help to solve that, that challenge or indeed deliver that product. But, but really, if I think back and reflect back, the champion chose us rather than us going to find the, the, the champion. And I think that was a really, really big reason why this got to um, a kind of a really derailed situation and ultimately wasn't something that, that, uh, that we wanted. I was going to say, is that a red flag? Feels like it. Feels think, like it. Yeah. Yeah. How in this case, George, did the champion find you? But that's it. And I think when I think about it, definitely like in terms of like outside of like technical sales playbook, right. In terms of actually like internal regulation as a salesperson, very much was driving the deal rather than actually looking at reading the situation, taking a step back and, and I guess leading with EQ and leading with, and, and, and figuring out some of the ego that was at play kind of in the, in the, in the deal as well. Um, so absolutely a big red flag, absolutely one where on paper we had like, what would be quite a strong EB. We had a great, a great ability to share the effective work we'd done elsewhere in the organization, but, but ultimately we were speaking to the, to the wrong person and we should have known that a, a lot earlier. Why was that? Was that due to a lack of influence or they didn't have a personal goal driver strong enough to push this deal yeah. through? And this is, I guess, where it was like drive it, me driving over actually kind of taking that moment to step back and think about like ego in the room. So ego in the room says someone has gone and delivered something in another market from this individual effectively delivered something in another market and was being roped in by a, a, a global board member to look to roll out that same offering elsewhere. And so it was really focused on the product that he effectively had built that was almost like a rival to, to, to our product, if you like. It was almost an in-house solution to what we were looking to, the, the problem set we would deliver to with our out-house solution. And so actually was, was, a, was an enemy. That champion then... Yeah, that champion almost attached himself to jeopardize. Oh my god, I love it. Yeah. Nice. That's so I've little finger. Ever heard of I suppose as well now, what I need to understand, George, as well, is I know you're obviously a big med pick house at Multiverse, and we have a lot of guests on that use that sales qualification. Me and Jack are big advocates of it as well. When you look at qualifying champions with your reps in deals at the moment, what are the things that you, one, coach them on, or two, look for to know they have a champion or they have a coach? Yeah, exactly. So, and by the way, coach is not always a pejorative term if you've qualified someone as, as, as a coach, and I guess the different flavors. And I guess I can share some of the kind of, almost kind of tick box qualification that you want to do as standard. But then there's also an element of, of being kind of an inquisitive EQ hungry individual to actually get a sense of, of kind of the lay of the land as well, which I think is partly where I've fell down here, but let, let me talk through, I guess, some of the basic qualifications. So looking at kind of three core elements of, you know, is this individual, does this individual have the seniority to, to, to go and do, um, X or, or Y and to drive this initiative forward. 
do they have the authority to do so as well? So, you know, are, how are they seen by their peers, for instance? Um, and then finally, do they have the attitude? So just because someone's senior, just because they are respected um, and they've got the power to, in theory, by their job title, it doesn't mean that actually they wake up every every morning thinking, I'm going to go and solve big problems. And so those are kind of some of the very basic, um, I guess, characteristics of a champion. And then we talk about champions of the pain, champions of our product and and uh and then also champions of the reps individually or champions of you as well so those are we've heard that one before haven't we jack <laughs> those, those are very commonplace like qualification but I, but i think they are really important bread and butter and like some of those i think are probably a little bit overlooked as well here um but i can go into i guess where i think the big overlooks happened um if, if that's helpful yeah please yeah so go. that's almost kind of ground one right that's that's like your framework which helps to simplify an otherwise kind of really complex world and i think you have to go beyond kind of painting by numbers um and also do the level of thinking about actually like what's really at play here for this individual what, what am i sensing in the room um things like I guess, simple questions of, would I bet my house that this person is going to do this and this is going to get done with this person? And is are, are my spider senses saying there's something otherwise, even if I've qualified on those kind of two areas that we spoke about um, uh, and and you come through with kind of yeses or or actually needs to qualify further, but still there's kind of a tingling feeling of this this person, this person just gives me a sense that they, for some reason, are saying all the right things, but actually... It, there's something fishy going on here and and i think when you're an individual who's thinking about a number when you're an individual who's looking to go and do ambitious things and 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 likes to kind of you know wants to go out and deliver an ambitious forecast and on paper it feels good it's really easy to think wow on paper look how good this looks i've got a champion because i've gone through those qualification funnels we just talked about but actually if you kind of take a step back and really think about that feeling of something doesn't quite feel right here and then trying to understand what that is. Um, I, I think you have to do that level of qualification, which almost comes down to being a human being, right? Do you know what? I was actually going to go back to what you said at the start about that, what this deal taught you about outside of work, about how to have like guardrails and exercise routine. That really gets you in tune with your gut. That is where there's like something that's quite intangible feeling where you think like, oh, I can tick all the boxes here on paper. But like my gut is telling me that I've just woke up this morning and think I don't really trust this person to be my champion anymore and go to bat for me. And you can't really, I guess you can teach that, but you can't teach it in a spreadsheet of like qualification. No, I, exactly. I guess you can think of it in two ways, right? You can think of it as step, step one is kind of just religiously staying against those, those qualification funnels and consistently stress testing against them. The other way is to think about actually, you know, stress test them in a really binary way as well as kind of overlaying them with what your sense is as well um yeah obviously if you're getting no's from that first step of qualification then you've got no's like you should never look beyond that but if you're getting if you're getting yeses but still something not right then kind of trust yourself as a human being I got a and go find out what that is about this as well when you're qualifying your deals and you're building your so let's say you're building your yearly number up as a enterprise seller or mid-market mm -hmm. seller do you build your deals around champions? Like, do you think over there I've got a good champion, I'm going to go and build my deal around that? Or do you look at a deal and you think I can really solve that company's problem and I need to go and find a champion there? Does that? I hope that question makes sense, but 
if you look at it one way or the other yeah and this goes to almost that second lesson mm. i was sharing right which was around pain and it's almost the interaction between one and two which is yeah. champion and pain so i guess what I, I i've been teaching my team to do is to really think about time as almost like golden tokens at, at sort of the sales um casino so it really comes down to if you've got so many hours in a day say i don't know nine golden tokens or eight and each representing an hour like where are you going to place those to actually deliver most value yes to our organization but also through the organizations you're partnering with and so it probably is a bit of a combination of which are the industries or companies sectors that have the most significant challenges is always step one step two and obviously ones that, that we can answer to right if this stuff that sits out where our, our product can help then actually semi-relevant step two being well who are the people who really care about solving those challenges within those organizations and you know against some of those qualifications we talked about earlier in terms of what a champion looks like um and, and then i guess third thirdly is is how, how are you then going to be able to demonstrate to them that we're we're the organization who can who can who can make that happen and why are they going to pick up the phone to you when you pick up the phone mm, i like the casino nine tokens i think it's a really good way of <clears throat> i think do you know what it's interesting being going from like an SDR role to an account executive role, which presumably pretty, pretty much all three of us have done, you can be so much more strict as an SDR doing a more monotonous job on your time management than you're than in like an account executive or even a sales director. Because every week you go into, it's all different. You've got calls all over the place. So I love the way of framing like each hour is a token. Where are you going to spend your time? Are you going to spend it in a deal review on one of your big deals? Are you going to spend it prospecting into other accounts? I think that's really good advice. I think if we go back and say, uh, sorry, well, Jack, I, I, I'll jump about, in. I jump in yeah, on that yeah. as well to give you almost kind of another layer of thinking on top of just the hours is actually, and I've spoken about this once or twice before, and I definitely talked to my team about it. In fact, I've talked to them a lot about it this week as we're kind of in the the kind of final kind of final kind of key selling week of the quarter, which is at different points in the quarter, you think about your tokens in different ways. So, at the start of a fiscal, or maybe in the last few weeks of, of your fiscal, if you're in, in good shape, you start to think of, of, of your coins in like a year. In your final kind of weeks, in your closing weeks, you think about your time in terms of hours. And then at different points, you'll be thinking of it in different spans. So you'll be focusing your time in different ways. So for instance, um, at the start of quarter, you might be thinking in kind of half day slots of, okay, great we're partnering with this organization and we've kind of committed to a three three month timeline of what we're going to be doing so i'm actually going to come into your office for half a day and i'm going to meet most of your execs we're going to go through maybe you know, turn up in a, in a, a leadership meeting at some point in that day before that you'll have sort of champion huddles and, and you might also start to have conversations with um, kind of individuals you haven't yet met who, who will be important as part of the process and we'll see some of the benefit and the value that you'll be delivering through partnership and then off the back of that kind of key crunchy bigger meeting you might also then spend some time sort of debriefing etc but ultimately you're thinking in terms of days and half days with a view of sort of three months and then you're kind of changing that to, to hours as you're probably in those sort of closing motions within uh, within your quarter 
Well, that's how that's how I articulate that coin. So yes, it can represent an hour. It can also represent a bit more. I love that, and it comes back to the third point you said at the beginning. You said the free learnings were champion implicating strategic pain and execution. Going back to the deal, can you tell us a little bit about how execution across those two areas, and particularly in times of time management, which I'm assuming you probably spun your wheels and um, wasted your <laughs> time. Drop, on this but episode. anyway, uh, how the execution on this deal? I'll finish. There, there was. Yeah, you just there was kind of an internal <laughs> irony that was a question about execution, and he was halfway through the words X as the, as the oh, Wi Fi jumps. <laughs> Am I back? <laughs> um, but hey, it's on, it's on message, so that's all good. So, yeah, for sure. I, I think <clears throat> we, we got a load of folks in, into, in, into the deal very early doors in, in, to the point where actually it was probably to our detriment because there were just so many voices there without one clear individual who's sticking their hand up, who's the right person to also be the champion or, you know, some of the key champions there. So a, a lot of people, broadly the wrong people, <laughs> um, and also got to the EB very early and spent quite a bit of time with the EB, who I think also was, we weren't doing a good enough job of delivering value to, to that EB through those interactions early doors to earn the right to get to the right champions, actually, I think is my reflection. Um, so executionally, I think, lack of kind of control of um sort of almost um sequencing of those kind of early sort of qualification disco type type motion and sort of scoping before going into like full proposal mode uh, i think like secondly as well was just that the urgency was 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 not there in terms of like clear like directional commitment on almost like a sort of week by week basis again at this stage we were looking more at week by week what what steps are we going to be taking and i don't think we we drove enough clarity and um that that's you know as at that point as an ae right that's that's on my shoulders um i'm a quarterback of the deal i was really fortunate to to have kind of one of our leaders on the on the product side as CRO and then and then kind of some some really good support across our, our CS team as well, all helping us get into these conversations, all helping us in that early stage of the deal. But ultimately, his quarterback wasn't giving the clarity across my internal team, so they're ready to step into those meetings to the value, but also on the external piece where with the customer really wasn't spending time figuring out what those simple steps were each week to make progress that was valuable progress with their support. Do you know what, as well, this is a super hot topic for me and my also colleagues in my team at Salesloft, because we had our QBRs yesterday and one of my colleagues shared that with his forecasting, what ended up happening was all of his deals ended up just being done on the end of the month. And he was like, I think in hindsight, you know, looking back, when I was doing my mutual plans, they weren't mutual. They were my plan to get the deal done by the end of the quarter. So I suppose for you, George, in your experience, mutual action plans for me, correct me, or you can disagree, are intrinsically tied to the urgency of the deal. Um, how, do you, how do you present your mutual action plans and make sure they are mutual and it's not just you going, we're going to do this and this and yeah, whatever? I, I think, if I'm honest, if you're getting to a point of mutual action plan, you should already have the urgency. So that that urgency piece doesn't come from a mutual action plan to to I guess my definition of it. It really comes from going back to I guess the first two 
points I, I spoke about. Implicating pain. Exactly. So understanding from an individual. Like, are you like, are you really seriously feeling this 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 challenge, this pain? Like, what does that mean for you? What does that feel like on a daily basis? How's that turning up? And then what's the impact of that? And how does that really kind of ladder up to, you know, strategic, organizational wide, like value? So you don't understand that, then you can have as many kind of mutual action plans as you like, but you're not going to get the, 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 the urgency, you're not going to get the drive, right? So I think that that first piece. The second is like, well, there's probably like thousands, hundreds of thousands, maybe, of individuals in your organization. And why are you the person who wants to fix this? Why are you the person who wants to put their name against this? What's it actually going to mean for you? So we kind of call that like personal sort of professional wins, but but ultimately it's understanding what other people's motivations are and, and drivers. Going back to I guess some of the comments I made earlier about kind of I guess turning up as a turning up as a human um and, and kind of reading your champions. Um so I guess if you've got an understanding of those those two things, then then actually you should have the urgency. Then it's a case of well, how do you then direct that urgency to most be most effective? removing kind of risks as you want to move forward once you've got those two things those two things are kind of almost like the the the, the, the fuel and the, and the and the spark then it's about which way you're going to point the car as it goes off or rocket if you like because we are obviously in rocket ship yeah, territory this is sass this is sass you know go. what's interesting about that yeah. going back to that human element it takes being on the end of someone else's mutual action plan if it isn't mutual to recognize how bullshit they are like I had someone do it to me when I was buying my. I was about to say it feels like we're about to we're about to hear a story of pain. Yeah, yeah, but not the right type I, I of pain. It to me when I was. To be honest, Jack normally every episode yeah, exactly. does share a story. Would <laughs> <laughs> you clip these? It's like a full. Me hour complaining about other salespeople is what pain. it actually is. There's a catalogue of that. <laughs> He's like, I was trying, I'm, <laughs> I'm going through the process of buying a house, and um, like list this. The That's estate painful. agent I, I, that was is putting painful. me on their timeline. And I was like, I also have a timeline. You just haven't asked me it. And it was actually quicker than yours. But you're telling me about this, this, and this. And I was like, this is bullshit. I actually don't want to have to talk to you about this again. And, even, and it really felt like I wasn't heard. And I just wanted to be like, listen to me. Please listen to me. And I'll tell you where to go. I don't know if I'm allowed to carry on this going down a detour here. Or please do, yeah. It's, Okay. Okay. Rain me in if I'm carrying on going in 20 minutes time, huh? But like, yeah, a year ago, I um, uh, fortunate to I guess grab grab my first little place, and one of the things that struck me there's two things that really struck me about buying a house as a sales fashion I find just so bizarre. First is that as a buyer, you actually have to be the seller. You have to sell your credentials as the buyer. Um, and the amount of times that like I had to do that, I actually had probably a better talk track about why I was a better buyer, um, at, at that, at that point that actually in that quarter, some of the talk tracks for my, for my customers about why, why we should launch our partnerships. But, um, that's by the by, I just find that so bizarre. Can you imagine like if our customers came up pitching themselves like, no, Jack, like we really should buy from you because X, Y, and Z, it would just be such a weird world. And the second one is as a, as a as a professional seller, you're you you're inquisitive. You're trying to understand, and you're trying to get to the root of things. I don't think anyone asked me. I met ten estate agents at least. 
Why are you buying a house? Thank you. No one's asked. They say, how many bedrooms do you want? What areas do you want to be in? I'm like, all right, cool. Basic. That's asking me what tech stack I've got. Like, get me to yeah. the real bit. I'll tell you where I am, why I'm moving, what I need from it. Joe, you know our, our old yeah. sales enablement guy used to tell this amazing story about what he was trying to buy um, aircon. And he used to say, I need aircon that turns on really fast and gets my house cold fast. And one guy was like, oh, yeah, cool. I can get you that. It turns on in 30 minutes. And then he finally found this one aircon provider who said, oh, you don't need it to turn on really fast. You need it to turn on when you're within 500 meters from your house. And I was like, that is the best version of that story ever. Like, do some discovery and sell me a different feature, which I actually need. Because I want that. As soon as I get within 500 meters, I've got that now. I've got Hive. When I'm 500 meters away from the house, my Hive turns on. Which, segue. Gee. Sort of joining the dots, I think that's a really valuable um, sort of example to call out because it actually links into probably what it felt like when I turned up <laughs> to this person um, in in this deal that we absolutely, well, I absolutely did did not um, achieve what I wanted to from it because I I, I turned up with my, my action plan um, with everything on paper showing that we were kind of green lights and green flags, not too many red flags, really scratching the surface. <clears throat> I, I just didn't listen. Like the drive was there, but the step back, the thinking about the egos in the room, um, thinking about, you know, uh, the personal professional wins of champions, the types of dynamics, like were they really a champion or were they a bit of a coach, a bit of a fox in the room? Um, just exactly exactly like that that estate agent experience that i think some people have yeah yeah can you tell us at this point then when when the deal kind of came apart and you knew like this is lost now can you tell us about that moment and also what the biggest that moment of learning was for you where you're like that was the foot that i put in the wrong place like yeah so uh, i think hopefully by now you've got a sense that there wasn't like a, a moment where I was like, I'll put my foot wrong here. I think from, from top to bottom, I, I did a like impressively average, if not poor job, um, which is, which, which is. Actually George would, would counteract that. And I think as a junior sales rep or someone with one or two years experience, I would look at the deal that you had on face value. You were, you had what you thought was a champion who had ulterior motives you had senior exec alignment, you thought you had urgency, you had a lot of the things, but I think you didn't qualify them hard enough. Yeah, and I think probably almost, that was some of the first, so that was probably one of my first quarters, sort of really trying to get to grips with kind of medic and, and a lot of the playbook and, and, and a lot of the things that obviously so fortunate to have learned from, you know, Steve and Jeremy at Al and, and Al as well. And, uh, and, and I guess it's almost like when a playbook hits reality, it's actually understanding how to almost translate that into the into the real world, and, and that's probably almost the gap. And and you're right, that bridge really is it was around qualifying hard on what those things were. Um, and uh, unfortunately, there wasn't like a a big Hollywood moment where I realised, oh no, Titanic sink, sinking. As much as th- three weeks of chasing to try and kind of get the next meeting in, and it just wasn't happening. And uh, and then we we got a little bit of an email note saying, "Hey, I think uh, I think we're taking this in a different different direction." So um, the next set meeting, we'd agreed what what we'd what we'd uh, we'd cover and and true to kind of that third pillar of lesson around execution. I hadn't got it in at the end of the meeting, which is normally again something that I, I drill into my team, and it's actually been one of the big um, areas that that have enabled us to have a lot of success quite early doors was 
never leave a meeting without kind of getting a really meaningful next step. If you can't get a meaningful next step, don't chuck time in someone's diary. No one likes that. Um, Jack, I'm not going to let you come in with a story there of aggrievement, but obviously no, no, no one likes people chucking time in their diary unless it's a meaning, but like m- make sure where you can, you're getting that almost, you just diarize it in the meeting. Um, and that, that enables urgency and momentum as we kind of talked about as well, Jack, right? But yeah, we, 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 we got to that stage and then I guess a long, a long period of, of reflection because that was, that was, um, you know, probably one of the most significant opportunities, pardon me, one of the most significant opportunities I'd, I had the opportunity to, to look at at that stage. Um, yeah, learned so much, really, still really grateful for it. Um, still pains me a little bit, you know, as, as, uh, as a, a semi-proud competitive individual, but um, like, so much better for it. Let's talk about then, you know, and thanks for sharing that story. First of all, we've learned, like, how have you put those learnings into action now? And can you give any tangible examples of where it's yeah, worked? Of course. So <clears throat> my team will quite consistently tell you that uh, when I ask the question of, do, do you have a champion? I, I, won't, I won't ask them once in the same sentence. <laughs> so do, do you have a champion? You do. Okay. Do you really have a champion? Like, do, do you, and then, then you kind of, you get, do you have a champion? Yes. Do you, do you really have a champion? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, there's a big of a bit of a tone difference there. What what are you uncertain about? And then often it will go back to I guess those that, that early stage qualification around like actually their attitude or their authority seniority. Sometimes those things will be in a good place, but it still doesn't quite feel like they're they're the right person, and that's where that we kind of have that fuller fuller conversation it's quite an easy conversation if we figure out actually that their attitude is not the kind of attitude you want to bet your house on um and and therefore we need to go and find someone who who does have the right attitude to to look to to get something done so that's that's the first one it's just really qualifying super hard on on champion yes against qualification but also on gut as well um if 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 everything is yes on qualification but something still doesn't quite feel right in, in in the champion qualification you you did, and we learned this from Jake last time. You know they're a qualicate they're like a champion of you, the brand that you're selling for or solving the problem. What you added on top of that was an extra layer of one seniority, two authority, or three attitude. Do you quantify those in like a one to four score? No, I think it's what pretty binary, like? right? So if if I guess there's different categories of of champion you'd probably want to think about so product champion someone who sits over um the solution or elements of the solution who you kind of want to rubber stamp against um you know uh, it's a a business champion who sits over like the 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 business outcomes that that are looking to be delivered or indeed kind of the challenges that are looking to be solved the business challenges um and ultimately kind of on your biz champ, you, you want all three of those things, right? You, it doesn't matter how senior they are. They're not going to have the authority to, to get things done. They don't have um, maybe the attitude to, to want to turn up and, and to put their name to things and to solve problems and to, and to kind of work with their colleagues to, to achieve things. Then, then they're not a champion. So you, you want all three, really. And so it's, it's binary in that respect. 
I love the way that you guys at Multiverse talk about how, how binary uh, medic qualification is. It's really unique to your business. Most, the, the people that obviously do, there's obviously other organizations that speak in such a binary format about it, but the way I've spoken to many people who work at your company treat it is very black and white. And obviously there's, there's nuance to a yep. lot of things in champion building as well, but the way you can granular, get it down to such granular detail, you really can make it quite binary after a while. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, I think it's quite interesting. Yeah, and I think that's you know, the value of it across a team, right, is that we are all speaking a shorthand language that we can speak to mm. very, very quickly in what is and what can be very complex, fast-moving, high-pressured situations. Um, so you know, if you think about how can you develop very quickly as a rep, well, being around other people who are all using kind of a really clear playbook that is been demonstrated as being successful over a very, very long period of time, as well as in, I guess, our environment and our teams. Um, it, it, it supercharges learning. It makes it then really easy for other people to digest that learning too and, and to think about it like that. I think, I guess, part of the sentiment that I was sharing up top around qualifying on champions and then going one step further around the gut and the human instinct, I, I can touch a bit more on that because i think it goes beyond the binary yeah, the piece area. but that's i don't the know area nuance i was talking about that tell, tell us more about that yeah sure so I, I it's actually inspired by um a book i've been reading about the the future commercialization of cricket um which is a little bit off the beaten track in terms of i guess the topic of today but it talks a lot about professional sports teams and i guess particularly in cricket like step one has always been like professionalization of the space in terms of where are the gains to be had in this space. So set one has been professionalization of the space. So the sports space that's, you know, starting to get nutritionists, starting to get people who are then like, you know, PTs, really kind of strength and conditioning, et cetera. Those were the big gains in sport kind of uh, 30 to, to 20 years ago. The next step is, and, and we've seen this definitely like in, in series like the IPL and, and actually across all sports as well is, is the use of data to make great decisions and that's been something that's been really game-changing um, in terms of things like team selection, monitoring fitness, knowing when to sub your players because of heart rates, et cetera, et cetera. Um, in cricket, around like run rates in the shortened format of the game. Um, in rugby, about like predicted scores and therefore whether you should be going for tries or drop goals. They're given we've just had the World Cup go past. All kinds of manifestations of using data as uh, the cutting edge. And there's a lot of conversation about now, well, it's almost a level playing field around like that professionalism piece because everyone's kind of in one way or another eating the right things, doing the right amount of exercise. It's almost a level playing field in terms of data. Some people probably have a bit of an edge, but ultimately most sports teams are looking to do that, serious ones. And so that next area of kind of real big development is around like psychology and the mindset of being in those environments and how you actually unlock the best performance given you've made the right decisions because of the data and, and ultimately you've got people to the peak of where they, their potential could be, it's then how do they actualize that potential that you've verified also with data. And I think that's kind of true in terms of where we are in terms of, I guess, an industry in a space, which is there are some really strong codifications of playbook and medic and actually you know, using data there um, as well as like professionalizing, like first of all, professionalizing as a space. Secondly, having a really clear playbook that gives us data, that gives us kind of a really clear binary guide that's almost scientific and almost that next step of evolution is once you've mastered that actually how do you self-regulate as a person 
how do you self-regulate as a person helping someone else to make a decision? Ultimately, that's kind of sales. And so I think there's a really interesting piece there that there isn't kind of, there isn't really gray areas in terms of the, the playbook if you're applying it truly. But the next step of unlocking potential sits in actually how you're able to execute in those big moments. Is anyone? And how you're able, sorry, Karen. You finish that. Yeah, and, and, and how you're able to then unlock that kind of peak performance really consistently through mindset. Is there anyone in your life helping you do that at the moment? Oof, that's a massive question. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I've got a very, very good friend from the industry, uh, well, few, um, who we, we, we sit down on a, on a monthly basis and kind of hold each other accountable, but on a daily basis, um, I guess, starting to, to journal and, and affirmations as well. Nice, I love it. In that, in that remit, no. Uh, we um, Jack used to work for Ollie and I work for Ollie Sharp now and I'm sure you know mm -hmm. he is like a shining light of like helping people self-regulate and he does do it we, we do do it regularly we meet once a week but we also we, we talk about deals like so it's not like we're constantly talking about how to self-regulate but he's taught me that over a period of time but my also my partner is a she's a therapist so I get the benefit of understanding that language and being having reflective conversations with her at the end of the day which I can't tell you has helped me untold in my sales career because i'm like able to deal with like sometimes i feel like well the anxiety is really high and she's like all right well here's how you can manage it like this or sometimes I'm like, oh, the excitement's really high or sometimes I'm like the lows are really low and that's how you can regulate like i've got a big demo i've got seven stakeholders coming i've got to coordinate four people on my side i've got to self-regulate and this is how you can help do it with yeah i just think it's interesting i think you're right i think we can get to the point where we can have all the best technology in SaaS. we can have all the best playbooks in SaaS. we can have all the best qualification processes. And then the next part is like, how do you bring to life the human element of it at its, at its peak and, and and perform throughout the seasonality of a, of a fiscal year? I think that's really, really interesting. Yeah, it's really, yeah, I agree. Do you know what, back to that before we continue, like the extra bit is for me, what I've added on yeah, is having my woo this year. In, and I feel like, being able to hone in on the data being like, what, how are you exercising? Are you exercising when you should be exercising? Are you sleeping well? When should you be sleeping? When you can get those like really human caveman basic things down, I perform then better in what I'm being paid to do, which is like my job. And then I go, yeah, man. it's mad how many different things. you. And if you think have. of those three pillars, right, they interact, which is what you've just described because the whoop sits in the middle bucket of data and it goes back down to the, yeah. profession, the professionalization piece and then probably goes then back up into psychology too. And, and that was, I guess, the closing thought on this one from me, which is that third bucket, I guess, I just shared about actually is very largely addressed. If you've got a great playbook, you've got great development about how to how, how to like, you absorb that playbook and then how to execute on it because it removes so much yeah. uncertainty and enables you then to have that like one of the, one of the five topics I, I journal on is is load and what i mean by that is like cognitive load um and it removes so much of that cognitive load because it gives so much simplicity that you're then free to kind of go and execute and i know that again i've used one more sports analogy um one of the reasons why you know the likes of hamilton's one of the best f1 drivers is that he's able yes he's firing around corners at 200 plus miles an hour or whatever crazy speed it is but he still has the headspace 
while he's doing that because he's so cognitively clear about what that is so much muscle memory so much clarity that you can think through pit stop strategies 15 um, laps away with other dynamic kind of moving parts in terms of other drivers and it's similar in terms of stepping into these big sales moments where you've got a simple clear playbook you've learned you've got a leader who knows that who's stepping into those meetings with you that you can then simply go and execute and you've got that cognitive space to go and do just a brilliant job and do what you signed a sales contract yeah. to go and do which is to do a great job by selling Hey, we're sounding no. like the high performance Don't podcast now. Aren't George, we? that's class, mate. I think um, I actually think that's really insightful. I, mean, the, the, I think that's the the art of management as well. It comes down to how well you can influence other people to develop that in themselves. So, um, if there are any vacancies in your team at the moment, I think there's going to be some lucky lucky applicants out there, mate. I, I really appreciate your time coming coming up to the end. I don't want to run just in case you guys are busy, but so I just want to say thank you, mate. That was brilliant. Um, yeah, very insightful. Me Great too. learning for me. I'm assuming Jack, you probably feel the same. Yeah, it's been uh, great to have you on. Thank you, George. I know how uh, much of a heavy hitter you are in our specific sort of SaaS marketplace in London. So very excited to have you on and share no, this with No, thanks everyone. for having me. So and and sneakily, I had in my back pocket someone who I might want to recommend and, and give them a, some red cheeks and blushing yes, if please. that's okay. 